We're very excited for you to join us today for this episode of the New Zealand Tech Marketers podcast and enjoy this interview with David Alsop, who will tell you about his story. David first started in aged care in 2004 as a physiotherapist, but quickly pivoted to more marketing and commercially focused roles in subsequent years, combining his clinical and commercial passions. Over the last decade, David has held senior sales and marketing roles across the aged care sector, with the last six years in the role of Head of Sales and Marketing for Paintech. With nearly 20 years of marketing experience, Dave will talk to us about his experience in the tech and health sector and his thoughts on AI for marketing and sales enablement. David, can you tell us a bit about your experience and how you ended up in the tech and innovation space? Of course, and uh, this is great to be here, Brittany. Thanks for having me on. So fascinating enough, I, I do come from a background of clinical experience. My, my mother's a physician. She's a registered nurse. I just retired both my sisters. Uh, so I went down that route as a physiotherapist initially, um, but always had a passion for um, yeah, business relationships, sales, go to market as well. Um, so I kind of fell into aged care in a clinical space, but uh, a clinical um, role, but then pivoted to more sales focused, marketing focused roles, uh, restarting doing an MBA and going into that space more in the commercial marketing sense. I think my lens is, you know, after nearly 20 years, you come into the healthcare sector and especially the aged care sector where I've worked in the majority of my career and you either fall in love with the sector that you know you can make an impact or you leave pretty quickly. And I was just, I knew this sector was for me. And uh, 20 years later, here I am. <laughs> awesome. Well, what would your favorite part be of working in the tech and health sector? Obviously you started in the health sector quite a long time ago. But yeah, what would be your favorite part? It's a great question, Brittany. I think what's interesting is that would I consider myself a technologist? No, I wouldn't. I'd say I've got a passion for enabling technology to provide better clinical and care outcomes. So I'm really excited about how technology, AI can enhance clinical care. And I look at you know, clinicians these days when bogging in some administration and how can we use technology to actually alleviate them of administrational burden to focus on clinical outcomes. That's what really excites me about healthcare and tech going, well, how can we enable better care through technology as well? And that can be from different things, but that's probably the why for me that gets me excited most days. Wonderful. And I guess that's relevant in any industry. It's how you can use technology to better suit the client or the customer. And if we can extend on that a little bit, what would you believe is the biggest challenge for marketers and salespeople in the tech space currently? And what do you believe will be the challenge coming in the next couple of years? Because obviously you, when you first started, the challenges you face as a, a sales and marketing professional 20 years ago would be very different to the ones that your team are facing now. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think it's interesting, Brittany, around, I think there is, oh, I can speak from that healthcare lens, mainly in technology. There's a level of intimidation by technology in the space I've worked in regarding you know, is this going to, this application going to make me redundant in my role? And, and just all the positioning of how tech enablement should drive and help clinicians, carers, operators around, this is here to enable better practice, better process from a clinical sense, but also from an operational sense. So I think that's been the biggest challenge around, I think the healthcare sector and the aged care sector specifically is, isn't a quick adopter of technology and can be a bit, a bit intimidated. I think kind of messaging as a sales and marketing person, it really is about trying to be, try to find, I suppose, within the hearts and minds of the people you're trying to get to adopt your technology around, hey, no, this is here to enable you, to make you more efficient X, Y, and Z. 
So breaking down those barriers, I think has been the biggest challenge. I think from my experience in the last 20 years that there's a bit of a tech boom in aged care and healthcare and so it caught 2005 to 2015. And um, I think a lot of providers and healthcare providers went, we bought all this technology and it's best and breed, but it didn't speak to each other. So there's a lot of standalone systems and not great interoperability between systems. I think we've bridged the gap more recently about how do we pull technology and systems together to make sure there's a single source of process and enablement for clinicians and carers and, and administrators across the board. I think there's a bit, of, a bit of a way to go on that. And I think a challenge we've got now is how AI is viewed moving forward because that movement is definitely happening. But I think we've gone from AI is going to be fantastic to we're intimidated by AI a little bit right now. I think that's kind of on the tip of every tech marketer's tongue. Yeah, and especially kind of in the, the privacy side and also the ethical side as well. But we can dive into that a little bit later, but it's quite interesting that you mentioned that. Talking a little bit about challenges, what would be one of the biggest lessons you've learned in the tech space? I know I've learned quite a few lessons in my short career, but 20 years experience, what would be some of the biggest ones you've learned? Yeah, I think technology is fantastic and it can do so many things, but unless you combine that with your adoption, change management, an approach to how that technology can be tailored to benefit or behoove a person or organization. I think in my experience, it's something I probably underestimated initially uh, when taking tech products to market and assuming that adoption would be pretty straightforward as that tech movement was happening. And still to this day, I do believe without great focus on onboarding, customer success, adoption, change management's a word that we use a lot, sometimes a bit fatigued, but there is a level of change and adoption in the healthcare sector, we, we can be intimidated by change in my experience, but I think what you wrap around technology to make it a successful implementation, adoption, or utilization of that, of that technology is key to, to the success of the tech man used correctly and benefitly, uh, beneficially for the organization. Yeah. That's a lot of insights. So thank you. Pleasure. What, but what would be, and we'll ex- extend on that even further. Can we talk a little bit about some advice you'd potentially have for new marketers? starting out in the tech sector that could be that you have for them or advice that you wish you knew when you were starting out? Yeah, definitely. I think what I learned, I think in the healthcare space, especially, and I focus most of my career in aged care, as you know, Brittany, it's a humanized industry. So you cannot take away that human elements. I think tech marketers, we can have the most sophisticated digital approach, tech approach, AI approach, but if you're not winning the hearts and minds of the end user, it's very challenging. That's for sure because, and that's when that change management piece comes in. So I think don't show, I think it's tricky too, because during the last three years, we've digitized everything during COVID and we, you know, we speak on these meetings most days, but the human elements huge in my opinion too, that if we don't look at the end user and win the hearts and minds, the technology will not be beneficial adopted correctly. So my advice would be think about the end user and a humanized approach still. And um, because in the sectors we work in, we've got people that adopt technology and other end of people are completely fearful and petrified by it and everything in between. So you can't get away from the end user and the human element we need to take while you know, marketing and selling tech products in the healthcare space. Yeah, definitely. And I think it all comes down to that, that customer voice too, you know, understanding that customer and what their pain points are and 
actually them feeling like you care about them and their end result, not just selling a product and being like, good luck, see you later. I couldn't agree more. Exactly right. How, from the other side, so we've talked a little bit about marketers, but how can marketers align themselves with salespeople? Quite often there's a little bit of separation between salespeople and marketing, but how can they align themselves together and what benefits do you think and what benefits have you seen come from this? Mm. It's a great question. I think in my experience and opinion, I think it's, it's a real challenge to do. So people come through sales and marketing in the same bucket. And if you're a great salesperson and a great marketing person, you're a rare commodity. It really is quite a different skill set. I think the purpose of sales and marketing should be really the, the voice of marketing sales should be very succinct around cheating to market the consistency of approach, how you win the hearts and minds. And I think marketing's job and sales job is to serve business markets to serve sales and vice versa. I think the biggest Bo's pitfall I've seen is that sometimes you've got people like me who run the function of sales and marketing, but they're two different buckets put in the function. There's you know, sales process, marketing process. They should be very much a seat and running in parallel, but run as two different functions and marketing comes first. And then obviously that should serve generating leads. I think the process of Wrong choice of phrasing, but the why and the hook should be pretty consistent around how appealing to potential prospects or consumers or organizations. But I think running the two functions under one umbrella, correct, but it's two different silos with expertise brought in. So I think generally my experience, people either, if you're a sales and marketing person, you'll lean one way, you'll kind of go, my skill set's more applicable to sales or to marketing. And that's completely fine. I think that's great, actually. But as long as you have the right skill sets in both those silos that fall under that marketing and sales umbrella, then you can have that succinct approach to market as a succinct sales process, which in turn should help grow the business. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess when you're in the marketing function, you just think about the marketing function or if you're in the sales function, you only think about that, but you can't have one without the other. If the marketing isn't performing, then the sales aren't getting the leads enough. The sales aren't performing marketing getting the leads but they're not closing them so working together is essential otherwise you know what's the point <laughs> it has to it's so right Brittany you said it couldn't have said a bit of myself they have to be working hand in hand that's for sure because that umbrella function where sales and marketing's underneath that that's the performance of that function but one can't be optimally performing without the other as well so there can be tweaks and movements but like you said they've got to work hand in hand to actually serve the business that's for sure definitely you, you've had experience in marketing roles and sales roles. I'd be quite interested to hear about some challenges you've had to overcome in the tech sector and how did you, cha- how did you overcome them and tackle them? The, I think they've been consistent ones over the years because pre, pre my time, the current role, I was um, in sales and marketing and, and they advisory practice, but had technology services they took to, to market in specifically the aged care space. And it really comes back to the intimidation by technology. I've had clinicians say to me, is this fancy product going to take my job? Oh, I don't need that. I can do X, Y, and Z. And it really is peeling back and pulling down those barriers around technologies there to serve them. And I think there's a bit of hysteria in market right now around AI serving, AI serving us, for example, not us serving AI and vice versa going, cool, like, is AI going to take over and we're going to be serving AI? And it's all these buzz conversations happening. And Feeling that back and whether it's AI, a new piece of innovative technology, we're going to go cool. The technology is there to serve you, to assist you in process, better outcomes. So 
it comes back to, I suppose, my initial learnings when taking technology to market that if you don't have good, you have know, change management, onboarding processes to serve the client, a great relationship, good messaging, consistent messaging uh, around how tech will serve them, it can fall over pretty quickly. It can be the best technology in the world, but without those other components looked at, it can sit on the shelf and not really impact our organization well. That's probably yeah. my biggest learning. And I think it's still true to this day. I think as a industry, we're better at adopting technology, that's for sure, but we've still got a way to go. That's for sure. Yeah, it's definitely it's one of those things. And I've experienced that too, when people are like, what, what do you think will be our biggest barrier and thing that the one thing that will mean whether we succeed or not, and it's your staff, whether they take it on or not, because if they don't take it on, then the tool is useless. You're paying all this money. So it's the people at the end of the day. It is. Yeah. And to that point, but we were experiencing the healthcare, well, healthcare sector globally is a real scarcity of staff and attracting talent into that sector. Innovation is a good lead up to go, cool, we want to be an innovative sector with great technology. The other challenge is it's such a transient nature of staff right now. So you may have a great adoption change manager piece up front where the technology is onboarded really well, but nine months later, it may be a completely different cohort of people that are meant to be using technology. So how do you consistently bring them back to that technology with new staff coming in? It's a real challenge for our sector with such a transient nature of staff at present. Yeah, definitely. Talking a little, you mentioned AI before. Could you explain how AI is used in the company that you currently work for and in your product offering? I know you mentioned it before, but um, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, it's fascinating because I I, I met um, Paycheck through the research phase. Um, being a clinician previously and looking at um, the tool itself is designed to identify pain in cohorts of people who cannot verbally articulate their pain. It's all the science and research is done on people living with moderate to severe dementia. But the research showed that people living with cognitive impairment express pain in a more heightened manner on their face as opposed to your eye, Brittany. And the reason is because I've lost what we call learnt behaviours. So they've, they've lost the insight to fake, fake emotions. So for example, I kick my chin right now. I can pretend that didn't happen, put a brave stoic face and go on with that conversation. People with dementia have lost the cognition to fake it. So they do express pain and other emotions in a more heightened manner on their face. That was kind of the core of the research. What was fascinating is that it's really hard to assess someone's face because of personal structure. It's really subjective around opinion. So we looked at how we can actually automate using artificial intelligence, how to actually use the tool to assess a patient or resident's face for nine micro muscle movements indicative of pain. Keep with an indicative, this pain is multifaceted, multifunctional. That's the first part of the tool and the rest of the part of the tool, we call it artificial intelligence up front, but smart automation through other domains like vocalization movement. But the tool itself, and this is some of the barriers that break down in real time using a smart device, just scanning that person's face, looking for those nine micro muscle movements indicative of pain using artificial intelligence and machine learning. What we're doing through that process is looking at that, that face, recording the data. So we're not capturing any videos or any pictures for privacy reasons. The machine learning part's going, cool, I can see three of those nine features that's recorded to the pain check backend. So some of those misconceptions around privacy, AI looking at face, we've had to kind of address time and time again, because we're a validated medical device globally, but for privacy reasons, obviously we don't take a video or any photos. It appears to be a three second video, but it's just recording any of those features found in real time recording that data. So to your point there, that's some of those consistent misconceptions around what's going to happen to these videos, where's my data going, the challenges we face every day. Yeah. Wow. 
I've seen it firsthand and it's very impressive as a product. <laughs> I was a little bit skeptical when I heard about Fainted, but when I actually saw it in real life, I actually was really impressed. It's amazing because I'm the first to admit to Brittany, I follow the research quite closely and we're, we're out of academia and we've got a Curtin University in, in Western Australia and all the research is published, but it is kind of when you hear about going, is this real? Does this work? And I actually, I went to the same process of going and going, wow, this is phenomenal um, and nothing else like it, a world's first too, which is great for Australian and New Zealand innovation. Definitely. And a great way to sell the product too, having a competitive advantage, that's for sure. <laughs> Definitely, that's right. So you've talked about a little bit AI, how you use it in your product. How do you see AI being used in the tech sector for sales and marketing? Yeah, it's a real interesting space right now, that isn't it? So I think, I think there's a component where, well, I think sales and marketing, there's always going to be human elements. There's, there's, you know, that's, I say this consistently and my colleagues are sick of me saying it's kind of, how do you win the hearts and minds? And I think we don't win the hearts and minds of using technology through AI. I think AI can service, service sales and marketing function in regard to automation of process, outreach, things like that too, or serving up insights for us using AI machine learning of where to focus our energy. I think having, yeah, things like chat GPT are all very buzzwords right now, and they can serve the business. I've used it myself. It's quite phenomenal. I think it's great. If we can use AI to be a more efficient and automates administrative tasks that comes with sales and marketing or approach, I'm all for it. I think okay. it can really behoove an organization. I think a lot of sales and marketing people like myself who work in a small business, you are bogged down a lot of basic administrational tasks that is not, not high value items or use of your time. So how can we use technology and AI specifically to streamline and have say a marketing assistance that is your AI or a kind of a, an extra, a extra digital arm, pair of arms and legs to actually accelerate your approach to market. That's why I think it can really serve sales and marketing people moving forward. Yeah. And I think what, what we think now about AI and how it's going to be used for marketing versus in three, five years time, it's going to be completely different. Absolutely. When digital marketing came on board you know, how we were marketing back then versus now and now digital marketing is changing yet again, kind of all of those phases. Even now, you know, some marketing is going right back to that, you know, direct marketing mm. or that because it's that, that personal touch and understanding exactly having right. those conversations or those in-person events, which we couldn't do during COVID. Just extending on that a little bit more, in your opinion, how can, do you have any ideas about how AI could, be used to boost sales for tech companies from that sales perspective. So we've talked a little bit about the marketing side and how it could be used for, you know, kind of what you do as a marketing assistant and getting more output through. But from a sales perspective, how do you see that being used like research for potential yeah. targets and things like that? Or I'll let yeah. you know on that. It's a really good it's a really good question. I'll reflect on this one a fair bit actually, Brittany. I think I think if that on the head, I think with artificial intelligence for salespeople, I think it's going to help people focus their time and energy, but also serve up insights in a way that an analyst may have previously. If you're speaking to a prospect, looking at their date, for example, you could access, cool, this is, where, this is where they've got a shortcoming in their business and this is how we can help them. So I suppose looking at, I suppose, lead management and where a sales professional focus their time served by analytics-driven potential by artificial intelligence, I don't think we're at the stage where 
AI can be stepping in for a sales professional, I think. And in my humble opinion, I think humans want to be sold to by humans most of the time, that human interaction, um, especially in the healthcare sector that is so humanized, especially aged care dealing with people at the, the latter stages of their life. But I think to your point, I totally agree going, is it so, for example, in a previous role, I had an analyst assigned to me who was looking through benchmarking data, client data around where are the insights, where this our business could help. And certainly that highly paid resource, quite labor intensive. AI can serve a place there. It may not do the whole job, but mm. may do a portion. So there should be efficiencies around the cost of running a sales function as well. But I think the actual salespeople themselves are still yeah, so instrumental in actually delivering that message and where that we should focus their time. So initially, I think the next two or three years, I see that's where AI can serve salespeople in, in tech right now. Yeah, that's a good point. And I guess we've talked a bit about like what benefits can come from AI and how we can get more output or have those mundane tasks that are covered through AI. But what are, what are some challenges you see that AA may bring in your role or with reference to people, marketing and sales professionals that you work alongside? Yeah. I think there's a level of intimidation, Brittany, by AI right now. I think it's, it's interesting. Like I said earlier on, I think we've gone pivoted from, wow, AI is going to solve a lot of our problems to, wow, are we going to be serving AI eventually? So I think people are quite intimidated around I think it's an assumption when someone's wrote a really poignant email, was that chat GBT or so people have got a bit of resentment's too strong a word. They're cautious around AI. And I think being approached by AI, you know, we all know when there's a bot that's written something on you know, a forum or something as well. So we're very, very sensitive to artificial intelligence, you know, serving as things, algorithms. So I think yeah. the sensitive nature of the market may stop prospects from engaging when they feel like there is a component of that at this stage. I think that is just a point in time. I think we'll normalize this very quickly because I believe it, it's such a big movement that it's needed and unstoppable right now. And it's the next step in, in automation and technology. But I think there is a slight bit of consumer and buyer intimidation or spe speculation around who am I speaking with or who's serving this up to and how have you got this day? And I think Data protection and security has never been more heightened too. So people are very sensitive to that. So I think that's some of the challenges we face, face probably over the next 12 to 24 months. I think that will normalize. But right now it's a bit of quite high sensitivity, isn't there? Yeah. And I think even, you know, talking about the people and the staff and the team quite often, at least here in New Zealand, you've got people in these high roles and they get imposter syndrome where, you know. They're fantastic and they're doing these outputs and they're great at their job, but they feel like they're not. So when you bring in a tool like AI that can do quite a big amount of their job, that might heighten things like this as well. So it's just ensuring that, you know, the team members know that what they do and what they contribute to the company is needed and valued. Definitely. I think that's such, so well put, Brittany. I think there's a huge element of that in healthcare specifically. Obviously, that's where I spent most of my career, so I can't comment on you know, other sectors like construction, et cetera, but that's a yeah. huge challenge that we face right now in the healthcare space, that's for sure. I totally agree. Yeah. In your role, like, in your role with the people, what are your biggest concerns regarding AI? Like, rather than the individual roles of sales and marketing, but, you know, the actual whole sales and marketing function as a manager. What would be your biggest concerns? Because obviously you'll be looking at big picture stuff, 
rather than the simple details. So what would, what would be some of your concerns regarding that? I think the biggest concern I've got right now is key to sales and marketing function. What's the, where does AI fit? What's the right balance? How does talent feel secure in their role as well? So if I'm a, a marketing coordinator or a business development manager, am I feeling intimidated by, am I making myself redundant by leaning into artificial intelligence? I think that's the biggest issue we've got right now is where does it fit? What component of that function is assisted by artificial intelligence and how does it affect staff morale, staff engagement? And drive the right behaviors, not to make staff lazy or, or disconnected to the function because they feel like they're going to make redundant when AI starts taking over. I don't know if anyone knows the answer to that question right now, Brittany, to tell the truth as we kind of navigate, what's the right balance? Where does that fit? And I'd be lying to you if I said, I knew that too. I think I'm, I'm very confident it was served. I'm just not sure where and how much and, and what's the right timing. And what is the messaging as a business leader around we're bringing these components into the sales and marketing function, but don't be intimidated. Like you said before, I think it was a really, really succinct point around how is this AI going to serve us and not kind of go yeah, other way around. That's the biggest challenge right now, I think, for a sales and marketing leader. Yeah, definitely. And extending on from that, what ethical considerations surrounding AI, especially, you know, you're in a product that's very people-focused, you're providing care, privacy is essential obviously in the healthcare sector and compassion and those sorts of things around people at the last stages of life so what are some ethical considerations that you believe surrounding ai marketing need to consider and be aware of you know mm -hmm. it's a challenging question isn't it i think it's a space where ai i think is it's probably it's most sensitive around AI, data security, automation, which has been kind of flipping around. This is going to change into a positive manner, but now it kind of goes, oh, this has got X, Y, and Z cautions. I think people are so concerned around their, their healthcare data and how I can potentially mine that and serve that up for insights to research, blah, blah, blah. We, we've all heard those stories. I think that the biggest challenge we face is around people who are afraid, I suppose, you know, at what how advanced AI might get and what kind of parameters and safety precautions around, for example, like I said about what happens to the AI-driven pain check data from the patient clinics and what yeah. privacy security measures that keep that serving the business, serving the people um, that work in it and make sure we drive better clinical outcomes. I think there needs to be pretty serious parameters around the use of AI and where it is actually the line is drawn around security measures. I think that's the biggest kind of risk a lot of organizations have right now. I think there's been some pretty significant data security breaches and how AI is going to mine that as well. So I think that's where we're trying to probably figure out around what legalities and boundaries need to be put in place to ensure that there is comfort that AI is serving the business and the clinician and the end user as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think even just from our conversations, you know, understanding that there's a lot that we don't know yet and it's going to be a time, a time thing. And, you know, there's lots of people that, oh, you can do this with AI and you can do this and you, you're like, that sounds great. But in real life sense and real business sense, how can we put AI like that and engulf it into these different marketing and sales functions, mm. or functions and how can it work for us? Because it won't be the best option for every business, but no. a lot of businesses it might be. So 
think it'll be a component of most businesses. <laughs> oh, definitely. I think it'll be a component moving forward. And like I said, what percentage of that component, it's still a bit of a guessing game. But yeah, that's my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, you talked a little bit about a paint tip before, and I'd be quite keen just to hear a little bit more about the process of commercializing a product, for example, paint tip from that research stage at the, at the university and then selling that product and then expanding into different markets. It's one is probably Brittany, the, it's funny. I was talking about this with my colleague, Andy, you've met last night and it was, it's probably the highlight of my career, but also the first 12 months is probably the most humbling, challenging four months of my career. I wasn't this great seven years ago, I promise you that. And I think for me, it was, I went on a journey like sort of looking at the research, the science that stacks up the academia and then it can be to myself going, wow, I think working in the healthcare space for nearly 20 years as a physio initially going, I knew that pain assessment in these cohorts of people was done so poorly, not because lack of trying, just not having an innovative tool that's just kept up with the need of people living with dementia. And there's been some great predicate tools. And we work very close with Jennifer Abbey from the Abbey Pain Scale fame. She's been an absolute beacon of support for us, but there was 20 year gap between more research done, look at technology advances. So I think for me, it was taking myself on that journey. I was employee number three at Paintrick. Our CEO, Philip Daffis, was appointed to the research stage and our CTO, Scott and I, came on very closely. And it was a blank canvas. So it was, David, you've worked at aged care for a long time. How do you go to market with this product? And essentially, it was kind of selling the concept of what Paintrick's trying to do, but also going, hey, do you want to be the first? Which in our sector... People actually second and third sometimes. You know, no, we, yeah, we want to be a fast, fast mover, but let's, who else is using it too? So I think that was a huge challenge. I think leaning on the research and science that backed up has been a validated medical device is a huge help that the product, the validity, reliability was not a question. But I think I learned very, very quickly that these things take a lot of time. And if I had my time again, I probably would have hired a bit more bandwidth from marketing initially. It was generally based on relationship and connections and but I think going to market through that way we did bolster with marketing quite quickly but obviously we'll start up we had no revenue in the business whatsoever so it was like going well we get some momentum so that first 12 months was, was really humbling I think I'd been in the healthcare sector a long time and run sales and marketing functions with mature products adopted products that have been well taking a brand new clinically validated product from academia chalk and cheese, Brittany, you were in the tree here, just coming up with commercial models. Like you said, how do I appease the CEO, the senior clinician? Where do we need to send the data? How do we build these partnerships with great companies that, you know, call their clinical ecosystems like the VKs, leakers, et cetera. It was all just a, a with, with minimal resources and funding. And I think one thing I will say is that I took a more sales approach initially. I think the first 12 months of my job at Paincheck have been a lot easier and would have accelerated our growth. I really went into marketing probably in that first six months, nine months, not when we got some momentum. I think that was yeah. a learning from me. And I think the, the messaging to market around how the AI will serve them, we could have done that a little bit better too. Just not knowing the level of intimidation people probably had six or seven years ago around AI as well. So it's I so funny. I look back, it's only lives. It was quite early too. Bringing in that AI conversation, you know, it's, it's a buzzword now and people are talking a lot about it now, but seven, eight years ago, 
not that wasn't the case as much. No, too. not at all. Yeah, too. It was. And I think I was, I was saying to some colleagues going and um, that the learnings I had in that 12 months, I, I see it as like an on-the-job MBA. It was just <laughs> so, hum- so, so humbling in a really good way. I was just so um, rich in learnings, challenges, sleepless nights, that's for sure. But wouldn't change it the world. A great experience. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, we talked a little bit about well, the commercializing of the product, but could you give us an example of a campaign that was quite successful with Paincheck, whether it was in the early days or re- more recently, or just an example of something that's done to... Yeah, that. definitely. I think res- more recently, the great thing about the Paincheck product, they've been quite mature, is when we market now, we don't talk about the product so much. We're talking about the outcomes that are derived from the products. It's funny, I was talking to a colleague of the day and a lot of the time now when we meet with prospects, we won't probably demonstrate the tool until right to the end of the sales process. We're talking about, yeah, our um, benefits, outcomes, how we're impacting clinical care, reduction of medications, like all those great things that now we've got rich, rich, rich case studies with our clients, which is fantastic. We've got nearly uh, over 3 million assessments now, so we can look at that data and draw so many great insights and how we marry that up with pain data, with falls data, with medication data. Um, to drive really good clinical outcomes. So that's what we've probably focused our efforts, Brittany, initially. Uh, sorry, um, more recently. Initially, when we're going to markets, it was pulling different leaves um, around more emotive reason around, you know, we're trying to identify pain in people that cannot articulate their pain. Imagine someone left in agony that can't speak to that. We can do this through pain check. How can we look at automating a process to give clinical people back clinical time and not double handling data or having a subjective process. How do we look at upskilling a workforce, you know, carers to have a more strategic clinical conversation from a carer to say a registered nurse through a validated medical device. So kind of looking at different lenses around quality, efficiencies, and clinical connection probably initially. And that was fairly successful, I think, going depending on what resource you're kind of approaching around what do they want to see in the business. Uh, but more recently, like I said, we're so lucky that we've had such great supportive partners and clients and there's so many great rich outcomes. We leave with those going, cool, this is what we've seen at this client. Would you like to run the same journey? And yeah, the answer is generally yes. Wonderful. I think, yeah, it's all about those relationships at the end of the day, isn't it? Whether it's with your clients or your integration partners or whoever that may be, people that will help That's you. Absolutely. Those bigger clients too, not just the smaller ones. It's a bit cliche, Brittany, but it's about trust. I've never considered myself, yeah, the the most slick salesperson or marketer in the world, but I I do pride myself on building long-standing, honest, transparent relationships. And I think sales and marketing can get tarnished by, you know, that that snake oil salesman person or you're a sales or marketing person. And I'm at a real passion of just being honest and transparent and relationship, like you just said, it's so true. It's in a a sector we work in, it's, it's, it's everything. It really is. Yeah, definitely. Lastly, who are some marketers or tech marketers or salespeople or people you admire and why? And who should we call up next to be on this podcast? Question. I think there's some really brilliant ones. I, I work with some people you know, I think are quite brilliant called Charlie Consulting. Emma Charlie's a brilliant marketer. We're lucky to have her services in at Paintchecker last six years, who really helped me bolster the sales and marketing approach. I know you've worked on them extensively yourself too, Brittany. I think looking a bit broader, it's tricky. It's a good question. I think that 
I look at products like, you know, Salesforce and go, okay, you're just a CRM, but they've just erected a massive building in the middle of the Sydney CBD. And I've used their product. It's a good product. I like Salesforce, but I think they market and sales themselves to be so approachable just with some simple automation. It's very humanized. I think they're brilliant at that too. That's going big scale. I think some other companies looking more in, in the healthcare space, I think there's some other companies that think do it fairly well in regards to how do you humanize them in the hearts and minds of people? Some, some examples I'll give would be if you look at a company, just the top of my tongue here, I'm thinking of companies like Care Connect does this quite well. Um, I'm thinking they're in the space around how to ensure that residents and um, carers connect with their family members and get access to nearly a, a wedding planner service. I know John Perkins quite well at Care Connect was at the NZACA conference recently as well. I think they go to market really well. I think it's consistent without being too in your face, but have a really human, humanized element to what they do. So John would be a great person to have in this podcast. I want to John well. He's been in technology his whole life. He runs the business that is Care Connect and doing pretty amazing things too. So I think John Perkins would be a good one. I have to put you in touch too, Brittany, or even Emma. Emma Charlie would be a good one as well, potentially. Perfect. Well, thanks for coming along, Dave. You've shared some fantastic insights and I'm sure our listeners feel the same. If you have any questions for Dave or future episodes, please get in touch. Dave, where can listeners reach you? If they have any questions about AI or painting. Yeah, of course you you can reach me on LinkedIn team at just David Allsop, A-L-L-S-O-P-P. Use LinkedIn quite actively for obvious reasons in my role. My details are on the Paincheck website too. So my email address and my phone number is directly on that site. So if you go to paincheck.com, you can find me there. Please reach out. Always happy to answer any questions and catch up and, and talk about anything tech in sales and marketing. That's for sure. Perfect. And if you'd like to reach out to us at the Tech Marketers Group, you can find our website and socials in the show notes. For more New Zealand tech marketing content, be sure to like this episode and give us a follow. Until next time.